0: Good evening, and welcome to Kell's Wonderful Life. People remember the 1950s for many things, the dawn of the Cold War, the Red Scare and McCarthyism, and the idyllic nuclear family. In particular, the 1950s were a time when technology seemed like the savior of mankind, the triumph of science that would usher in a new age of prosperity and peace. For a time, it seemed true. In retrospect, however, we look at the mid-century and chuckle at the naivete of a simpler age, when petrol was cheap, poor people didn't exist, and good Christian folks believed they politicians. It's easy to forget, however, that the 1950s truly were a time of prosperity and technical innovation, seeing the invention of many things that we take for granted today. For example, power steering, VCRs, the answering machine, the barcode, cling wrap, the wireless TV remote, radial tires, the transistor radio, credit cards, the oral contraceptive, Teflon Pans, Color TV, Diet Soft Drink, McDonald's Restaurants, Whiteout, The Digital Synthesizer, The Hula Hoop, Super Glue, The Barbie Doll, The First Commercial Computer, Mr. Potato Head, Built-In Camera Flash, The Microwave Oven, The Computer Hard Disk, Velcro, The Black Box Flight Recorder, AA Batteries, The Hovercraft, Stereo Recording, The Snowmobile, The Yahtzee Risk and Diplomacy Board Games, and Instant ice tea. The 1950s were also a great time for science. The decade saw the invention of the silicon chip, the artificial satellite, the pacemaker, antihistamines, optical fiber, Fortran, COBOL, and the transistor computer, the laser, the nuclear reactor, the heart-lung machine, the solar cell, the kidney transplant, the polio vaccine, diagnostic ultrasound, and the industrial robot. The pure sciences discovered the structure of DNA, antiprotons, neutrinos, Earth's magnetosphere, and the enumeration of human chromosomes. In the course of the decade, superconductivity was also theorized, NASA was formed, and dogs and monkeys were shot into space. Of course, the 1950s were also a period of great fear. Military technology that was in its infancy in the Second World War quickly developed into systems capable of unimaginable destruction. The hydrogen bomb, the supersonic bomber, the nuclear submarine, and the intercontinental ballistic missile. The combination of nuclear first-strike and then second-strike capability led to the doctrine of mutually assured destruction and the start of an era of shadow boxing between the world's superpowers that dare not risk direct confrontation. This combination of hope and fear has come to define the 1950s as a period that was innately schizophrenic. The seemingly homely ideal of domestic bliss, articulated by pie-baking housewives and earnest family men, has come to be seen as a thin facade on the surface of a deep well of anxiety and paranoia. Fear permeated a culture that risked instantaneous annihilation at the hands of unspeakable weapons launched from across the globe. It is from this time that we get the phrase duck and cover, a hopeless strategy in the case of nuclear holocaust, Perhaps fittingly, it was in this decade that the concept of the placebo was also discovered. In such a climate of foreboding, it's hardly surprising that social panic like the Red Scare gripped America and, to a lesser extent, Australia. Pundits warned that communist agents could be anywhere. When anyone could be the enemy, it's easy to see the enemy all around you. As usual, anyone who is different was immediately singled out as a potential subversive. The intellectuals, the social progressives, entertainers, and the gender queer gays and lesbians were seen as mentally ill and especially susceptible to blackmail, making them perfect targets for Soviet operatives, what was known as the Lavender Scare. This led to the dismissal of gay workers from government agencies and the military. Hand in hand with this was the so-called Hollywood blacklist, in which film producers, actors, writers, and directors with alleged communist sympathies were barred from employment for fear of their influencing the population certainly, the 1950s was a height of social conservatism. Many controversial writings of the decade, such as J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, Daniel Key's Flowers for Algernon, William Golding's Lord of the Flies, William Burroughs' The Naked Lunch, and Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita, would be censored, banned, and removed from libraries. It was also this period that gave us Frederick Wertham's Seduction of the Innocent and The Comic Code. The code, if you were unaware, was a regulating body established in response to the accusations that the comic book industry promulgated material that was violent, morally corrupt, and sexually deviant. Public backlash in the face of these accusations, warranted or not, put publishers in fear of government regulation, leading to a voluntary code of conduct that was perhaps more stringent than what would have been enforced by an outside agency. Consequently, comic code publications self-censored removing portrayals of excessive violence, supernatural monsters, horror, and sexual and adult themes. Perhaps inevitably, the advent of the 60s had to lead to a backlash. The social progressive movement that started in the 1940s found its soundtrack in rock and roll, and the children who grew up listening to Elvis blossomed in an age of nuclear panic and science marvels. Stayed domesticity and television set the stage for an era of turn on, tune in, and drop out. As the children of repressed Pleasantville became the free lovers of the Flower Generation. But that's a story for another time. This has been Kel's Wonderful Life, where it's always atom punk. Guaranteed.